The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. We're back with another pod that is about the destruction of something we love. But you know, new eras for everybody. Before we launch into that, we do have to talk about Pretty Little Liars and Riverdale somehow sharing the same universe now because Roberto can't be stopped. <laughs> when I logged onto the internet this morning, I did not, I didn't think this was going to be what I saw. The first thing that I saw was that Riverdale exists in the Pretty Little Liars universe. <laughs> it's a mess. I mean, it's th- it's a throwaway line and he didn't even think it was going to like be able to say. And now that it is, I'm like, but sir, you're telling us that Riverdale, which also means Greendale, exists along with the Rosewood and Millwood. In Rivervale. <laughs> oh my God, yes. It's the, too much. The quote from Roberto where he said, we just wrote that in. We didn't think it would stay. And it's like, Roberto, come on, you play a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I don't think anyone thinks about like the wider connotations of that because it's not just a throwaway line that connects Riverdale to Pretty Little Liars original sin. It connects Riverdale to Pretty Little Liars, the original series. It connects both of them, Pretty Little Liars series to Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Katie Keene. There's a whole multiverse out there and one little line's connected at all. Two Lucy Hales. (laughs) Yes. And this one, no one would have expected. I guess we should have though, because Roberto does what he wants. But like, it blew me when I watched that, um, the scene, because it's just Imogene and um, Tappy talking to Eddie Lamb. And he just says, the Sisters of Quiet Mercy in Riverdale. And I was like, what? <laughs> Sir, please say no. Like, But apparently the cast were excited. Like Alex Iono, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who plays Sean. He wants there to be a rivalry between the Millwood High Steppenwolves and the Riverdale Bulldogs. And Roberto wants to do a football game between them if he can. He doesn't know how far they can push this shared universe. But he'd really like to do it um and i'm like don't (laughs) no that doesn't sound like something either of the shows need and just to backtrack like it's really interesting to think that a exists in the riverdale universe like wouldn't i feel like eddie or not eddie you have me saying eddie with this i know who's eddie where did i say eddie from anyway oh okay yeah eddie (laughs) my mind's all jumbled because of this mess um like imagine a would have been obsessed with Betty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Now like I just that, see another storyline for her. Right? Like, <laughs> I can't do it. It's a whole mind maze and I want to get out of it. <laughs> I know. Someone tell him no. <laughs> you totally uh, buy it coming from his mind, though. Totally buy it. He would. I mean, how? I mean, Riverdale's going off, though, for season seven. So, and we're and currently in the 50s. In the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
but they have to come back. You know what? Let me not try to figure a way for them to do it. <laughs> I'm sure they're doing it um, back there somewhere. Someone's going to say Millwood uh, or Rosewood in season seven. I just know they are. What was the other town from the Pretty Little Liars universe? That other was it Ravenswood? Oh, oh yes. Oh, Is why are they all thing? wood? <laughs> I don't know. I think it is Ravenswood. It's all it's all Dale and Riverdale universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's like so lighthearted though. I mean, we are selling him NO with a little heart next to it, but like at least it's like the lightest news that's come out no. recently. Like all the heavy stuff has just been Warner Brothers Discovery and that fire over there. I mean even so much so that people thought Gotham Knights got canceled. And that was a part of the shows that got axed, even though it hasn't aired yet at all. I was casually scrolling through my timeline over the weekend and saw Gotham Knights trending. And now we know from experience, anytime you see Gotham Knights trending, that's not a good thing. And nope. I checked in and everyone was like, Gotham Knights have been canceled. All these big uh, reputable Twitter sources were starting to post that Gotham Knights have been canceled. Turns out it was a complete misunderstanding. It wasn't. Um, it, and the showrunner, Natalie Abrams, confirmed that the following morning in a tweet just with a simple, no, it has not been cancelled. Um, but of course, Twitter jumped on it like it was today's news, tomorrow's news, and turned it into a big circus saying, yes, Gotham Knight has been cancelled. And... Like it wouldn't have made sense to cut it. Like again, look at the week we're talking about. It could have happened. It easily happened, but it didn't. Gotham Knights lives to fight another day. I don't know if we'll say that this time next year, <laughs> but for now, Gotham Knights lives to fight another day. That was a bit of wishful thinking, huh? Like it was like they were trying to convince the CW, like gaslighting, like, oh, did we cancel Gotham Knights? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I just, they don't need to cancel any more things right now. Like mm. at all. I, I'm not even that excited about Gotham Knights. So I'm just like, can we get the chance to see it before everyone is like, it's a flash in the pan. It's not staying. It doesn't deserve to stay. And I'm like, okay, I know we're all hurt and angry, <laughs> but please just let I just let us see the product all the way through. We know the trailer didn't give us much that we were happy about. But you know, the show might give. You just have to give it a chance. Exactly. And I'm not one of these people who just mindlessly consumes any content. But after the year we've had with the CW, the fact they've lost half of their lineup, I will be consuming this show happily. So give it a chance for goodness sake. I don't expect it to be on the par with Superman at Lois or any of the HBO Max shows or even the Marvel shows. We're not you don't expect that from normal CW shows. But like give it a chance for goodness sake. I mean, I will say, I will go on record and say, I'm glad it's not cancelled. I know we've all been hard on it, but I'm glad it's not cancelled. At least give it a chance. That's all we're asking. I know. And, and they are, thankfully. Um, mm. And I really do hope people don't just, everyone should at least turn into the pilot. Well, mm. no, give it three episodes because <laughs> CW pilots aren't known for being the best thing. Three episodes and then hop. Yeah, yeah give it my tried and true four episode test. Yes, the read test. <laughs> <laughs> what we don't necessarily need to test, though, is the Flash. Um, I know it has, it, they spent $200 million on it, but like with the Ezra Miller news that just keeps a coming, um, they, Warner Brothers Discovery is in a very tricky place. And I know the Hollywood Reporter like put out, an article where they said that there are three scenarios that they can move forward with, you know, if they want to continue with the movie would be that like Ezra has to go home to their family farm and get professional help. And then later 
They could explain a behavior and I'm assuming an exclusive interview and then do limited press. And so the flash would come out on June 23rd, 2023. I don't know if that's a situation that is going to be happening for Ezra, uh, but they did say that their mom has been around them. So that's good. Yeah, I feel like any other week we could talk about how Warner Brothers has no other choice but to scrap this movie. But I think what we've learned is they're not. They're not going to do it. But that hasn't stopped. The Ezra Miller situation continue to spiral into the headlines. So I want to say their hands are tied, but they're not portraying themselves as though their hands are tied. So I do think maybe if Ezra gets the help they need, it could turn things around, at least for the promotion team. But I still don't think this is something you can just brush under the rug at this point. There's, there's no right way of saying that. This is not the way Warner Brothers wanted it to go. And it should the movie should not be carrying on with a situation like this, carrying on in the background. And I say that as someone who is really looking forward to the movie. I've, it's, it's a very conflicting situation and I don't want to conflict or contradict myself by saying anything here, but I definitely was so super looking forward to the movie. And now you can't think about it without those thoughts in the back of your head. Yeah. Especially, and we will get into it, especially after the week Warner Brothers Discovery has had. It just doesn't feel right to spearhead this film's campaign. It just, just, just doesn't feel right to go ahead with this movie, considering everything that is happening with Ezra in the background. Yeah, whether they, um, Ezra does get the help that they need and they go with the first uh, scenario, which is they release the movie, or whether they they decide to have limited press for the movie either way this is all still going to be at the forefront of this movie and the promotion of it like you can't divorce what everyone's been saying on twitter from this film's release you so can't. it's just like there's not like a there's not really a great scenario for it no and like part of me is like pull it and um and just like take the loss people will go see the movie obviously they will uh but at this point i feel like it's also an image concern for warner brothers discovery like it sets a precedence for what they'll be okay with when it comes to their stars depending on i guess the budget of the movie i mean i know the second option is that like ezra doesn't get help and so they just like go forward with what they need to go forward with. And Ezra won't be a part of any of the like major marketing or publicity. But the point still stands, whether Ezra is part of um, promoting the movie, whether they're not part of promoting the movie, the press are going to want to ask questions about it. And even if you say like you bar that question, it's going to come up in every article. Every single article that comes out about the press that they're doing, every single, I'm sure it'll come up in all the reviews. Like it's just... It's a tainted film at this point. I know. And I hate to say it. I feel like that number two scenario is the most likely one that will happen. And I don't necessarily mean whether Ezra gets help or not. I just feel like regardless of whether that happens, Warner Brothers will push ahead with the movie, but just leave Ezra out of the marketing and they'll go all in on Michael Keaton's Batman, Ben Affleck's cameo appearances, Batman, uh, Sasha Calais, Supergirl, just to try to draw attention away from it. Of course, you can't have the Flash on the movie or the Flash movie posters without the Flash on it. That would be something, but they'll just not put the names on it. I just, 
I hate to say it, but I don't see, and I know we'll get to it with the third situation, but I just don't see them scrapping this movie, considering how closely they've been standing by it over the la- particularly over the last week. Yeah, because the like with the third scenario of just pulling it, which would be unprecedented. That's a um, two hundred million dollars is nothing to sniff. This is still a company that got rid of a ninety million dollar movie, but like adding um, more money to that, like another loss. Th- this one they wouldn't be able to write off on taxes, presumably, um, and one they apparently believe in. Which that based on what we saw of the trailer, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic film. I have no doubt that it's going to be one of the best films that DC has put out. I don't think it's going to be a train wreck. It looked very exciting. Um, anything having to do with Flashpoint when it comes to Barry Allen's story is always exciting. It's just, I wish um, there was not but attached to like um, every time we talk about the Flash. Oh, the Flash is going to be amazing, but the Ezra situation. Oh, the Flash is going to be amazing, but how do we move forward with Barry Allen's story in the DCEU? Will we be moving forward with Barry Allen's story in the DCEU? Clearly not with Ezra attached. I just don't see, even if Ezra does get healthy, I don't see how they continue to play that character. Um, I feel like that should not be in the equation. Um, but I'm not the one making like the decisions. So mm-hmm. it's an, it's an unfortunate situation for a movie they were relying so heavily on. Because not to get into the issues with the DCU, we have plenty of time for that later. But not to get into the issues with it right now. The DCEU was flawed to begin with, and the Flash is an easy character to reboot. All that you have them go back in time, you have them alter the timeline. But how do you alter the Flash? That's the situation they're going to have to ask going forward. And if all the characters for it to happen with this is possibly the most difficult one because they've put all their eggs in that flash basket and now they're going to have to ask some serious questions either before or definitely after this movie comes out about where where does that leave the character to go forward? And I agree, it can't be with Ezra in the role. It's such a complicated situation. I just hope for the fans that they they get something because it seems like the fans are the ones that keep losing out on this whole situation. And I don't know. It's a, it's a really tough, complex situation mm-hmm. that I don't think we ever expected to be in with this big of a movie. No. And it that feels like it's just the situation with Warner Brothers Discovery in general. Everything is just up in the air. Like, I know we went through the whole um, calling of the CW, but did not expect that to extend to um, the DC universe as a whole. And we are now like sitting here wondering about which projects are moved forward, which ones won't. I mean, everything has buzzed. I'm going to be honest, I'm still hurt about Batgirl, um, mainly because I just don't see what was the point. Like, um, I know people were like, oh, it's because it was bad. And um, Saslov did say, you know, it wasn't about the performances. It was really just because we're moving for theatrical releases. And then, you know, you hop on the call and it was about, <laughs> it was about the quality of the movie, which by the way, there was a piece of the script that was going around and people were like, why is, what is with the bat and time thing? And I was like, just let it be fun. Can y'all just please let things Wait, be they fun? They said batten time oh yes mm-hmm. like it's batten time it's apparently it's a catchphrase but see it's an out of context piece of the script yeah, so we yeah. have no idea how um she says it 
or if it's sarcastic, but someone was asking her, you know, what is with that? And you don't get her reply, I don't think. I mean, like, there's a place for these campy movies. We've talked about this. <laughs> like, just, we need more fun movies that are not particularly good. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> more mediocre movies is what I say. <laughs> yes, give us some threes. Everything can't be a five. Threes or fours are excellent, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, guys, 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 guys. You won't find a bigger DC fan than me. So when I tell you this last week has been a week, it's been a week. <laughs> it's Tuesday night. Everything just totally fell apart. I remember the rumors about Batgirl came out and then an hour or two later, it turned out it was at where they weren't rumors. It was actually Warner Brothers decided to can a $90 million movie. And you're like, why did they do that? And the original report said, was it because its budget ballooned to past 75 million, which is what they'd set aside for it. And they decided they're not going to spend 90 million on this movie to get it right. And then there were the reports that they didn't want to do theatrical or they wanted to do theatrical releases. And this film wasn't structured like a big, larger than life theatrical movie. It wasn't very much a television movie, which is why it was done for streaming and it wouldn't have worked. That doesn't mean people wouldn't have gone to see it, but, um, and then there's the now the reports that it was due to terrible audience reviews from audience screenings. And you're like, none of those, none of those justify canning a $90 million movie that you hired actors to do. It could have been big breaks for certain actors. It was big, uh, huge returns to mainstream for other actors. And it could have been just a lot of fun in a very complex and convoluted universe. But they were like, yeah, we don't believe in that. And we, we will get into what it means for DC and we will get into what it means for the future. But the one thing that really bugs me is that a huge company like Warner Brothers Discovery that has access to these huge larger than life characters on a huge larger than life streaming service believes that the future of film is theatrical releases. No, the present of film is still very much theatrical release and that might be the future, but streaming movies are part of that. And all you have to do is look at Disney and what they accomplished with Prey this last week. The Predator franchise has been dying on the big screen and they single-handedly managed to revive it via Prey, which now in what, three or four days became the most watched premiere on Hulu ever across film and television in its first three days. Like, does that not suggest that larger-than-life movie franchises do have a place on streaming going forward? Don't tell me Batgirl wouldn't have worked on HBO Max. It absolutely would have. At the time we talk about Warner Brothers Discovery, it's just a big old sigh. Uh, because it just feels like we're coming, like we're circling back to old models. And for what reason? Like, you can have theatrical releases and you can have streaming movies. They each have their place. Like, I just don't see why DC can't branch as they've always branched. Like, we've got the big movies in theaters. We could do the streaming movies on HBO Max, have a little bit of fun with those. Like, in the series, too. It just, I'm disappointed that, like, Batgirl is gone. I was really disappointed when the Wonder Twins didn't even get to, like, get off the ground. Um, we got the announcement for Leeds in, what was it, a few weeks later? Um, mm -hmm. they were like, oh, no, never mind. We're not moving forward without them. Um, and that was about budget, too. It just really seems like they don't want to pay into uh, their streaming movies past a certain amount, and especially not for um, DC projects. I know it's like they've set aside 
DC for big screen and I get it, it works, whatever, go with it. But it doesn't mean you can't have success on the small screen and everything doesn't have to be a TV show. Yes, I do agree. Batgirl would probably have worked better as a TV show and that probably would have saved it from the axe. But like, again, look at Prey. No one says there's no future in streaming big budget franchises. And I think HBO Max was the perfect place for Batgirl. I was so excited for it. And I think the Wonder Twins would have been a success. They're not as mainstream as Batgirl. So because the movie hadn't started yet, I can understand that a different leadership might think this might not be the success the previous leadership was hoping it would be. But Batgirl was done. Batgirl was red eye. Batgirl should have been released this year or next year. I guess I didn't realize that the goalpost for like quality movie releases in theaters had moved. I don't understand what they mean because like we grew up in an era where the comic book movies weren't at the level they are now with Marvel. So like we should still have space for the movies that aren't as big as like the multiverse of madness or whatever that one was. It just doesn't make sense to me. And there could still be a market for it to have like a limited release in theaters or something and then drop it on HBO max. I know there's so much more like behind the scenes that it's not as easy as like, just release it. <laughs> but like, I don't understand. I like, I don't under, why does every movie that's released in theaters have to be like big and grand? Like we can release a 2004 Catwoman in theaters in 2022. Like nothing makes sense to me guys. <laughs> it feels a bit like ego. It feels like, um, because DC has so much, like it's iconic. So they want all the films to be iconic and therefore to have like a whole bunch of praise, which this might be a controversial opinion. It may not even be true, but it feels like under this leadership, like Tobey Maguire's um, Spider-Man probably wouldn't even gone forward. Um, even though right. like, like, it's big, like when you think about comic book movies um, in line with what we grew up with and what is today, what where they are today, it wouldn't have survived. And but it was this huge, massive success. Uh, and I just feel like not to say that Batgirl would have reached to that heights. We don't know because we didn't see it. But could you imagine if they had like their Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man and Batgirl and they just nixed it and she's never coming out because taxes? Yeah, I'm thinking, too, about all those Batman movies from like, was it the 90s? Michael probably knows better than I do. Like, these are the George Clooney ones. Yeah, yeah. Weren't yeah. those like low-key stinkers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've opened I've the can of worms there. <laughs> you've opened the can of worms there. No um, offense. <laughs> uh, yes, the classic uh, Burton slash Schumacher franchise of the 80s and the 90s. The first two movies were masterpieces. The third one was okay. And then there was that infamous George Clooney Batman at Robin in 1997. And look, this is the same company that released that. I know it's a new leadership. And yes, it was a bit of a critical and financial flop. But like, take swings miss swings go back to the drawing board and try again there's no if Batgirl was not being released in theaters and I still think it would have been successful if it was it wouldn't have flopped on HBO Max it would not have failed on HBO Max so why didn't they release it I just feel like this company is because maybe because the previous leadership made so many mistakes this company is afraid to take any risks and it's showing they've canned or they're thinking about canning a lot of really interesting out of the box DC properties and going ahead with the bland predictable leaders as usual. Not, not that I don't love my bland predictable leaders, but like 
when they had hosted that call, their, the, the DC franchise image was just the Batman logo, the Superman logo, and the Wonder Woman logo. And it's like, after all these intriguing new ideas for DC to branch out, are we just going back to the original Trinity again? Where's the fun in that? Keep Wonder Woman. The, the movies are so enjoyable. The first one was a masterpiece. Bring Superman back and get it right. Keep Michael Keaton's Batman. That's not up for debate. But other than that, give us new stories. Like, And I know they're going ahead with some of the ones that have already been made, but it just feels like we're going back to basics. And I know that maybe is how they need to start, restart the franchise, but it doesn't mean you have to can the interesting and original ideas you had at the same time. No, and this is a bit of a detour, but I do have a question. Like, if we're going to do the Trinity, how many Batmans are we going to have? Because we already have Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves as Batman. And then like they have Batfleck back and then there's Michael Keaton. Who's, I mean, I know um, Robert isn't in the DCEU. Well, right now, I don't Mm -hmm. know what they're going to do going forward. They need to leave him out of the DCEU, let Matt Reeves do his thing. Um, But if that's the case, so like we can't have multiple of these heroes in on TV show and on movies, but it's fine to have three of them in the movie universe. I mean, right too. George, we need you. Crisis of Infinite Infinite Batman. (laughs) Everybody played Batman, but George Clooney played George Clooney in a Batman mask. Um, uh, uh, Yes, this is the big issue. This is the same company that told the CW they're never allowed to have Batman on TV because people would get confused about having Batman on TV and Batman in the, the DCEU or whatever it was they were trying to do at the time. And yet they're now, they're like, let's have three Batmans on the big screen. People won't get confused about that. Um, I think the only, I think they've started to realize through the the Dark Knight trilogy and now the Batman in that Batman works best alone. Yes, Batman can exist in these big, larger than life comics. Some of the best comic book stories involving Batman were the supernatural ones like Crisis on Infinite Earths and everything like that. But the truth is Batman is at its best when it's realistic, when it's stripped down, when it's dark, when it's like a detective story. And you can't do that in the same universe that Superman's out there fighting Doomsday or Wonder Woman's fighting Amazonian gods. So I think they realize somewhere along the line that they take Batman back out of that world and give him a separate movie. But that that creates an offshoot. According to the powers that be, the Batman is set on Earth 2 of the DCEO. Yes, we're doing multiverse again. Um, so that's why it's separate and more realistic. Meanwhile, Ben Affleck is our DCEU Batman, but he doesn't want to do it anymore. So they had to come up. This is where the Flash comes in. Flashpoint will see Barry Allen go back in time, save his mom. And when he returns to the future, everything will be different. And instead of having the mid 40s aged murderous Batman that Ben Affleck was, we now have the 60 to 70 year old retired Batman angry at the world played by Michael Keaton, who will then come out of retirement to help the flash get back to his timeline. But that's the theory. Now we have three Batman, which one is Canon? I think before the merger, Michael Keaton will be canon going forward. We know he was supposed to return in Batgirl. And I think there were rumors that he would play kind of like a Nick Fury kind of role going forward and that he would unite these heroes or train the next generation of the Bat family, which sounds brilliant. It lets them keep their the Batman franchise separate, have a fully blown Batman and Robert Pattinson, while also keeping the Batman character in the DCEO without having him actually be Batman. It, it works. It's like having their cake and eating it. It will get confusing. But like, if they're going to do that, they're going to take so many risks as far as Batman is concerned. And let's not forget, we also have Joker out there doing its own thing in its own separate universe. So 
it's a bit of a mess. But if they're taking all these risks with all these Batman characters, why couldn't Batgirl have been dealt the same grace? Why couldn't, uh, why can't they do that with some of the more outside the box heroes that either their movies are going to be canned or they've slowed down production on? Why is it always the same heroes or like this leniency and the newer or the younger or the more outside the box heroes, as I said, aren't? That's not, a, that's not a DCEU that takes risks and that's not a DCEU that's very promising. And it sounds like a DCEU that's going to make the same mistakes as its predecessor. Can I just throw out a hot take? Yes, please. From the, from the outside looking in. <laughs> like, how is this supposed to be accessible to someone like me who doesn't know all of that and just wants to watch a fun Batman movie? Like, far be it for me to complain, but we have more Batmans than Spider-Men. am i wrong in thinking like i I have no entryway into this universe because there's like 16 batmans (laughs) and i don't know who's playing what and who's connected to who and what ben affleck's doing (laughs) um don't have to give away any spoilers uh, wait and there's like a thousand jokers just kind well, of this is very true. Yeah. This is very true. <laughs> and the Joker has turned into Oscar material. Any actor will sign up to it just so they can win an Oscar because what they can do with that character is just incredible. But like, unfortunately, that creates too many offshoots. Um, y'all have both seen Spider Man No Way Home, am I right? Yes, mm-hmm. I have not. Oh, I have. Okay, right. Well, you know, there's multiple Spider-Men in this universe or whatnot. The thing, the difference with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they decided to make all three of them canon, but in their own universes, DC doesn't do anything that that normal. DC tries to confuse people. (laughs) So we have three Batman at the moment. One of them is the mainstream Batman, but he doesn't exist in the mainstream DCEU. That's Robert Pattinson. We have Ben Affleck, who's a relic from the old mainstream timeline, which is the former DCEO. And then we have Michael Keaton from the original Batman 1989 slash Batman Returns timeline of the 90s. And now he's going to be suddenly made canon by The Flash. So a completely separate Batman doesn't just exist in his own separate universe like, like normal people would do. No, he exists now in the DCEO after The Flash. It's all very confusing. And it, it would is. be, it, right, it would be even less confusing if Batgirl was allowed to go ahead because that would add more context as to why is Michael Keaton here? Why is he still suited up at 70 years old? And He's 70? Yes, he is. Early <laughs> not, 70s. Not the point, but oh. <laughs> um, and the, the, uh, the director, heartbreaking last Friday, the director released an image from set of the movie with them standing in between uh, Leslie Grace's Batgirl and Michael Keaton's Batman. And it was the first proper shot we've seen of Michael Keaton suited up in the effort. It's a slightly modified version of the one he wore in the Batman Returns. And oh, it looks exactly the same. Oh, what could have been? I know we'll see it in the flash, but I'm deathly terrified that they're now going to, Warner Brothers Discovery is now, instead of make, um, making Michael Keaton the future of the Batmans in the DCEO, they're going to make the Flash an island, a separate timeline, and then have it all fixed up by the end of it so that no more Michael Keaton. We don't want that. We need more Michael Keaton. I want more Michael Keaton. And Batgirl deserve to go ahead just for Michael Keaton. No, I'm joking. But um, I think Bat- Michael wants Michael Keaton back. Must <laughs> <laughs> not give you that idea. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just as a, I would not be doing this if it weren't for the Michael Keaton Batman movies. And 
I want more Michael Keaton. And that's a very selfish thing to say because there's so much more at stake with Batgirl than just Michael Keaton. But so I'm well aware of that. But I just wanted to give my perspective of it, of how much it meant to see Michael Keaton in another Batman movie. I'm going to stop saying the words Michael Keaton now. <laughs> um, uh, but um, Batgirl had so much going for it. And I don't, I'm so sick of the amount of people tweeting me saying the audience deserves better writing. I'm like, how the heck would you know you didn't see the movie? So many people are quick to judge based on what one rumor said. And let's be honest, regardless of what the actual reason is, the underlining point here is that Warner Brothers Discovery did not believe in this movie when so many other people did. And that is not good enough because the powers that we've seen how many times the companies get involved in the correct director's vision, not on the company that making the movie. They're not even the company that made the movie. It was the old Warner Brothers. They said they don't believe in the movie, but the director believed in the movie. The cast believed in the movie. The fans believed in the movie. When, when was that not good enough? You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, it comes back to taxes. That's the thing that's like really grating. It's like, we, we don't believe in the movie, which I'm sure they don't, but also you wanted to write it off. Like, I just don't, how does that create a safe environment for creatives? when it seems like you've set up a precedence where if there is an ability to write something down on taxes or there's a loophole that you can work through that will benefit the company in such a way that it doesn't matter, the art doesn't matter, that does not produce an environment that creatives are excited about. That they like, unless of course, you know, you're gonna be a part of one of the Trinity's projects, then you know that movie is going to go forward. They will bend over backwards. They would tie this themselves not legal will get on the horn and tell them what they can and cannot do, what's safe to do. But if you were anything else, then um, like everyone hold tight to their seats. I mean, but make sure you got your contracts in order. And so that like there, I remember there's a tweet where someone was talking about that, where they said to creatives, get your contracts in order so that there's clauses in there that if they, de- like I'm assuming if they default on you for whatever, or they pull you, there's at least financial compensation of some kind. Or like you can do something about it. I'm assuming that contracts are going to start changing in, in Hollywood mm-hmm. thanks to this move. But I do wonder, Michael, like you said, they're not being quite risky or innovative, or at least it doesn't seem like it. So like what, what's safe and what should we be worried about? It's, there were so many worries and concerns after this news came out. And even now, week on, I'm, my mind's still very jumbled because, first of all, let's be honest, the DCEU was a very messy landscape to begin with. Every time they announced a project, I was like, yay, where does this fit in? That's exactly, that was the underlining point of DC movies. And I think as soon as the Batgirl announcement was made, the two that people started to worry about was Black Canary, the HBO Max movie starring Journey Smollett that would have been a sequel to Birds of Prey, and Blue Beetle, the former HBO Max movie, which has now been moved up to a theatrical release, which may have just saved its life. They were the two that people were most worried about. But in the last few days, we have got confirmation that Black Canary is still going ahead at HBO Max, which I'm very happy about. You know how much I love the Black Canary. And Blue Beetle is still, which thankfully, because Blue Beetle is either in production or in post-production, I can't quite remember. Again, it is going ahead which again, great news. So these two innovative properties that people were, were worried, were excited about and then suddenly became worried about are both going ahead. That's the good news. However, it seems like every piece of good news with DC comes at a cost. 
the projects now, according to a recent report from Hollywood Reporter, the projects that are now at risk is the Supergirl movie starring Sasha Calais. While it was never officially greenlit, I don't think, it's been in early development for some time. And it was obviously supposed to be a sequel to The Flash. Um, then the Green Lantern Corps movie, which again, I'm not heartbroken about because that movie has been in development for a very long time. And now we know we have a Green Lantern HBO Max series coming. So it would get very confusing with the two of them. But again, that's DC in a nutshell. Um, the other ones are Static Shock. I'm disappointed about that. Apparently Static Shock is production of stalled in it as well. And there was because uh, let's be honest, everyone adored the animated series of Static Shock. Everyone loves the comic books. And that, again, would have been another outside the box. He's not one of the like automatic DC heroes you think of, but he is an incredibly popular one. So everyone loved the idea of seeing a movie with Static Shock. And then the other one, the somewhat divisive uh, Superman movie from J.J. Uh, Abrams and Ta-Nehisi Coates that would have been dealt with a black Clark Kent. Everyone thought a credible, incredible step forward for representation, but a lot of people were annoyed with the fact of why did we have to go with a black Clark Kent when there is a black Superman in the comics? Could we not have used him instead? So much so that Michael B. Jordan is developing a HBO Max series focused on that Superman, Val Zod is his name. So it, it sounds like maybe because of the feedback Warner Brothers is deciding to go with the Michael B. Jordan property because fans actually want that one and maybe moving back on the Ta-Nehisi Coates Superman project, which again, this is a world where we can't have both. But again, it seems Warner Brothers is being very selective about what they pick. And there have been a lot of rumors that they want to bring Henry Cavill's Superman back as the mainstream Superman of the DCEO. So could that be a reason why the Superman movie stalled production? Because of all the projects to get stalled production, a Superman movie is a very, very strange one. But aside from that, you look at all four of those projects, they're what we could consider outside the box projects. And unfortunately, yet again, Warner Brothers Discovery seems to have lost interest in producing outside-the-box projects. Weird to me, because it feels yeah. like just like being aware of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the thing that makes it really successful is that they started out with their core group and then they've branched out and it's been super successful. And it just seems like they can't get off the DC universe, can't get off the ground. Like, I don't even know who these people are, but it would be interesting to see them and not see like Superman and Batman rehash for the 15th time in my lifetime. Is that too salty? No. <laughs> just like, who, it like, it is. like, who is Blue yes. Beetle? I don't know who he is or she, and I want to know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Blue Beetle is one of the most popular younger DC characters. And I, my knowledge is not as up to date as it should be because I haven't watched Young Justice in a very long time. But um, they, are they Blue and, and a Beetle? The outfit is a blue beetle, yes. It's a giant blue beetle. Um, uh, the character ends up coming across an ancient scarab, which then I believe latches itself onto the back of his neck and forms like a blue-like armor around him. That's scary. And, uh, it's, but if, even though it is kind of scary, but the fact is they're one of the most fun superheroes in DC Comics. Um, and the scarab ha is like a consciousness in their head. So it tells the, the user what to do and the user has to then disagree with it. it it's going to make for a great movie and I can't wait to see it, which is why in my heart, I am so happy that it's one of the projects going forward. I hate that we're at a stage where it feels like maybe we have to pick and choose and that this time an outside the box project like Blue Beetle won out. But it also feels like an awful 
a lot of outside the box projects like the Supergirl movie. You know how much I love Supergirl. Why do we have to lose that? Now, I'm not saying it's gone. It's not gone yet. But again, it just feels like Warner Brothers has lost interest in a lot of the good stuff that the previous creative team got right. So why do, why does it have to, why do we have to pick and choose when you're working with a franchise this big, you should not have to pick and choose. Marvel does not. Marvel's like, let's introduce them to the MCU. Two years later, they've introduced them, their family, their cousins, everyone into the MCU and everyone loves them. Why has DC not been able to do that yet? I think it is because they just don't have a, everyone talks about how they don't have their Feige. And it's like, I don't necessarily know if they need a Kevin Feige. They just need a game plan that is feasible. I feel like every time they come, every time they're like, we have a plan, we know what we're doing. And then you like, you look at the plan it's like, it's too grandiose. Mm-hmm. Like you want to do like five different big budget movies before we get to the group movie, which we, it already feels like it's going to be a mess because you didn't, you didn't see these people into the other movies um from from the previous ones so it's like i feel like just don't worry about solo movies to then get you to the the big group movie or do a big group movie with people that we don't know mm-hmm. like we don't need the trinity to to try once again to be the justice league like put the justice league a decade from now i guess i don't know i know like big dc fans don't want that but like they need to get their their, their stuff together when it comes to everything else so why don't we just have separate solo movies and y'all can do your big justice League movie way down the road after you've figured everything out and i think that's where they failed the first time and unfortunately every other project is now paying for it um i'm a bit of a was a bit of a latecomer to the marvel universe i'd seen so many of the movies but i hadn't seen them in order in 2016 i didn't know what they were building towards but even i knew that they started with the solo projects and then built your way up to the avengers and after the avengers was a huge global success there was absolutely no going back dc tried to fast track that because they had a good they had a good foundation in man of steel but they didn't do a solo batman movie and even though they did do a solo Wonder Woman movie, they decided to introduce her first in Batman versus Superman, which also had the pro- the uh, the tall task of introducing Ben Affleck's Batman to the world. It was just a whole mess. So by the time Justice League came around, Justice League came out after Wonder Woman, by the way, which was a masterpiece, which was a critical and financial success. And even that couldn't save Justice League, which came out six, seven months later, and it was a flop. Yes, 600,000 is nothing, sorry, 600 million is nothing to be sneezed at. But it, 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 the, the movie lost money. That, that was not what they needed for their big, this was their big Avengers moment and the movie lost money. And I think that's what ultimately forced them to go back to the drawing board and think we need to work on this. So they've started doing solo movies since. But even at that, those solo movies haven't had a direction. And everyone was like, Marvel build their universe, DC do their standalones. We can respect that. But now this new creative team that have come in, the Warner Brothers Discovery team, want to build a shared universe in the exact same way that Marvel did. So we're back to building towards an endgame. We're back to bringing these heroes all together. The problem is we have a lot of heroes with sidekicks whose projects have now been cancelled. Meanwhile, we have three Batman. Which one's it going to be? So I think they're trying to do a lot of spring cleaning and a lot of projects maybe have died because of that. But they shouldn't because what... DC did get it right towards the end of its run. Uh, now Warner Brothers Discoveries DC wants to go back to the beginning of building a shared universe again. And those two ideas are not going to blend well together. And it could create a heck of a lot more mess before we get anything linear, before we get anything streamlined. 
And like, it's a tough time to be a DC fan. It's like that meme with all the strings and papers. Like <laughs> they, they swear they understand they they found the thread of the story. And it's like, you did not, we know you did not. We're all just going to suffer until you find it. Um, I just, solo movies would have been the way to go. I, I think um, DC didn't need a shared universe. They can't somehow do it. So like, just let everybody have fun in their own little pockets. Uh, that's not going to happen, but I wish that was what they were going to be doing. Cause now like, viewers like you read who are like so which movies do i watch and which ones do i don't and then you have like big fans like michael who's like well it's a complicated question i can, <laughs> like, I'm I can like, make your guys JK. And i'm like jk reject the question <laughs> yeah. y'all are coming to me for knowledge and i cannot give it to you <laughs> yeah, i mean you're, you're trying your best with what you got but they're not really yeah. helping out too much <laughs> no they, they front loaded too many great movies i know reed is is a big fan of the suicide squad decisions uh, oh, i fact, love those movies <laughs> oh absolutely <laughs> um uh, which one do you watch first well it's the one without the word the in it um <laughs> uh, i don't know it's been a mess it started finding its way out of that mess and it's going to get a lot messier again and I mean, y'all just, we can sit back and watch the fireworks because I don't know what they're doing. I know. Which, you know, it's funny that like DC is um, messier than the CW in a year when the CW has been at its messiest since it, um, since it even like came to life as a network. Let's skip to some fun messiness uh, with Dynasty. Ooh, finally, it's back. Um, this most recent episode, I think it was season five episode 19 2021 20, 20, yeah 19 um it was a really bizarre episode and i know i don't ever criticize the show too much because i just i love it um i didn't hate the episode it was just a really weird episode to see in the run-up to the series finale like we only have three more episodes now and we got this weird episode where there was a six-month time jump at, in that was introduced in dialogue like Fallon was like, it's been six months. And I was like, it's been six months. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this whole sequence where Liam is having a lot of anxiety about writing his second book after he's, his first was a huge success and they made a movie out of it. So from where we saw him six months ago, he still has not written a single word and his deadline's coming up. So I don't know what Liam's been doing for six months, but boy, you better hurry up. Um, he, he had like a nightmare dream sequence and there was like a whole act of the episode was living inside of his nightmare. It, it went like, I want to say like full tilt horror. It was creepy. And he was like in the, in the hotel, I think it's La Mirage. I get the hotel mixed up with the one with, with, um, Veronica's nightclub in Riverdale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he, he was like dreaming he was like being chased throughout this um the hotel and he, Blake was in it as a as like a bartender and then Adam was in it as like this creepy bellhop and then Amanda was in it as a maid he was just really going through it in this um this nightmare and then he finally faces the hooded figure that was like chasing him and it was himself and I have to give Adam Huber props because it, he had so much fun with this and you could tell that he he doesn't get a chance to really play that much with Liam. He's just like Mr. Fallon Carrington and he has good storylines, but he never really gets to do as much as the other characters do. And this episode was so, it was just so weird, but it worked. 
And then right off the tails of that, it like just it's just a normal episode of Dynasty. Like Adam is spiking Phylon surrogate's tea, a whole mess. Um, and then in the end, Colhane finally gets the girl, and there's just a baby face song. And I'm like, I never would have <laughs> I wouldn't have imagined that the same episode where there's a whole horror sequence would have a baby face song in it. I don't remember which one it is. I wish I remembered. Um, it was cute. It was an interesting episode, <laughs> even if it was a little out there. And they've had some out there episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, Michael, you've seen The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. One, the Fallon's Gas Leak musical episode. Oh, yes. And the black and white stuff. Like, but this one was just like, it came out of nowhere. There's just a whole act that was a horror <laughs> movie out of nowhere. <laughs> Go I love that they went experimental. Like, yeah. yeah. This last episode, we're going to do something fun and something different. Here's a whole horror section. Yeah, this season's kept it pretty straight, I want to say. Like, they haven't done too many experimental things like they have in the past. But it was interesting to see in the lead up, like, we have three episodes left. And I don't know. I'm excited to see where they go in the final three. But that'll be, you have to wait till September. Uh, Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure after the episode on August 12th, the final three will be on in September. So that's how we're filling the September schedule then until we get, <laughs> get to October. I mean, you know what? That's a smart, well, not for the, not for Dynasty fans. I know y'all just want to like get the finished product of your season. But as far as the schedule goes, I like that decision for the CW. We have yeah. some relics from the old era still left over. I know. <laughs> Dynasty's the last one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it for Dynasty that they're the last um, of the bunch to air their finale. To sit on the throne one more yeah. time before we again crown new people um, or attempt to crown new people. Can it be a crown if, if it's all acquisition? No. <laughs> there's the Winchesters. There's there's that. Yeah. We- do they deserve oh, the crown? Independence. Oh, we'll no, out. not yet. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I am, I'm team. You have to get a full season under you before um, anyone could be declaring you the best thing the CW has ever done. Yes, I'm talking directly to Superman and Lois fans who saw two episodes and immediately <laughs> were like, it's the best air of her show ever. Nothing compares. And I'm just like, please chill. We love Superman and Clark Kent too and Lois Lane, but just you not the material. Season. Yes, exactly. All of the material. And we saw all of season two. And, you know, we're, we're struggling at the end, but that might have been CW's fault and not the writer's fault. So season three could go back to its quality that season one had. Not that season two was bad. It was great. Mm-hmm. Let me not say I'm slandering. <laughs> <laughs> like, it had its moments. It was a journey. Yes, exactly. It was a journey. Not like Riverdale season six was a journey. So no. it, not the same journey, a better journey. That was a windy journey, a twistful journey. <laughs> it was, it was. But you know what journey I am like excited about? And if it had to be, and this is the best thing CW has ever done, which it's not, but I really do enjoy Nancy Drew and the viewer to like get my immediate feelings about Nancy Drew. But yeah, it's the best thing CW has done. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I think in the, it's, I feel like it's the last of like the, that era of the CW, mm-hmm. it's the last one that feels like the network that we knew. Mm-hmm. Like it feels we're very much like maybe not even a new chapter, a different book. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like but that Nancy, description. Yeah, but Nancy, she, episode four. What a doozy. Emotionally, yeah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting um, so much to happen for a, a lot of the characters uh, um, emotionally, which is saying something because I, I have seen this episode and I've got everything that happened in it <laughs> <laughs> um, like prior to me watching it. But um, I know we say this every podcast, but Kennedy is so good. Oh yeah, she's so good. Oh my goodness, yes, Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy, if you're watching slash listening, we love you. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Retweet. Um, oh my goodness, the scene at the grave. What what a performance! Just incredible. It just hit it out of the park. I um I remember when they had the line about how she hadn't been to the gravesite yet, and I was like, oh, I don't remember how long it's been, but it's been a while since her mom passed. Has it been a year? I want to say it's almost been a year. Um, and she hadn't been as like, oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna pull up the heartstrings. And mm -hmm. then when you have that moment with her dad, who she's still not like all the way on the right terms with, but their discussion, um, it took me out in the best possible way. It's just exactly what Nancy needed to to experience before then talking to her mom. And it's good to see that he's kind of um trying a little bit more to be. Mm -hmm. I know we've been, at least I have been kind of like raising my eyebrows at this man. Like, I don't believe a word he says. And then he, at that press conference with Ryan Hudson, he kind of like walks back on defending the family and was kind of like, yeah. JK, I think the results of the autopsy, was it autopsy? Were inconclusive. And that's kind of what Nancy needed to feel like he believed in her. Um, so we're getting those like little moments where he's taking her side on some things. What she, mm -hmm. what she needs. That's basically what she's been telling him. Like, I just need you to, to be here for me. And he's kind of chosen everything but her. Because he also, he's in fight or flight survival mode too, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like on that note, I think this episode's had the most character work we've seen so far. And that could be considered quite surprising considering how the episode opened. I mean, can we talk about that supernatural intro? Like... Right. Oh my God. Thrown right I, was, I had it on and I was putting laundry away. It, I jumped out of my skin when I, when I saw, <laughs> I don't remember what part it was, but when Nancy and Bess were like walking around and like everything was like shattering, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> was not expecting that as I was putting my socks away. <laughs> and they had right. their like that, the moment with the video, with the footage from the camera where they like really got to see. And then if I remember correctly, isn't that, it's Fritz's and then you see Lucy. Right. Yeah. And then, and yeah, then it her, didn't, on the laptop. Yeah. Like it's the laptop, it's the TV. At least he's everywhere. Um, I, I think at this point, <laughs> by episode four, is like, yeah, this is this is a this is a supernatural show. Like this mm -hmm. is a, these are ghosts. This is what's what's happening. They do it so well. It's so eerie. Um, oh, and yeah. it, I love the explanation. I have, I know we're hopping all over the place, but I love George's mom and her yeah. explanation <laughs> of, of how like ghosts work. Um, and then it really brings you into, it takes it really serious then, like what Lucy's doing um, to the Drews and makes it silly enough where like it, it feeds you the information you need mm -hmm. without it being like too much. And I love that. And I loved when she, um, when she said, and this is the most important thing, we fill my glass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love George's reaction. She's like, oh, okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. I feel like sometimes shows like that that start very seriously and like 
pushed back against the idea of whether there is supernatural out there sometimes they need a character like that just to bridge the gap and like um, be, the, be the uh the gate between both worlds because like this woman fully believed in ghosts because she had her own experiences with them and she was gifted so that made it easier for us to buy then the rest of the characters suddenly believing and buying into it as well but I really like Nancy's explanation for why she refused to believe in ghosts and it was mm-hmm. that she was heartbroken that her mother never came to her and why why didn't you come for me is what she said to her at the grave and I just that that really hit me because the show Nancy's been very conflicting kind of character and that yeah she's the protagonist that yes you root for but she's obviously had some qualities and that she's quick to judge people and uh there's a lot of unresolved conflict between her and her father and I feel like that one explanation which was which was let's be honest on paper an explanation as to why ghosts exist in this world and how how we can buy into it I just thought that that explanation for such a supernatural thing was so grounded and so real and obviously Kennedy's performance as well was just out of this world but just that really resonated with me I thought that was really 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 nice and a really authentic way to open the doors to the supernatural world going forward and it ties into her grief, which she's really just like mm. pushed all the way down and not really expressed too much. And it's something that she needed to let out. Um, so it was really a great way to tie in like the supernatural with like Nancy finally breaking herself open and communicating with that grief that she's kind of ignored mm-hmm. for survival. And I think, and this is going to be a weird comment. Um, because everybody's human, but it just really, they really write the characters with a lot of humanity. Like there's a lot of acknowledgement of mistakes and what you can do better and how you don't always have the answers. I loved the part when her dad, when she tells her dad, he made the mistake of not telling her, mm-hmm. right? But he, but he was trying to honor what his wife asked him to do, but it put Nancy in a situation where she is dancing under the fairy lights at school and her mom is passing. Like, and so like, there was no good choice for him. Like, um, do you go with what her mom wanted or did you respect that your child would have wanted to be there? Like, it was just, it was a lot in such a short, um, such short scenes, so impactful. Uh, and I love that this show does take, like we pause with the mystery enough to let them delve into their vulnerability, let them acknowledge the mistakes they've made or that like, was it a mistake or was it a choice? I, I I had a hard choice to make and I made this choice based on what your mom asked me to do. And like, can you accept that? Can you not accept that? Or maybe don't even accept it. It's just what happened. So we have to move forward. That dynamic is one of the most interesting on the show. I know we don't know an awful lot, a lot about her father yet. And even now that he's done the right thing and pushing back against the Hudsons, there's still that mystery as in why did he have the bloody dress in his attic? there's still an awful lot of unresolved questions about that. And I'm sure we'll find it out as we go on, but just the dynamic between him and Nancy, there is so much conflict, but also heartache. And this episode, you really saw that it's Nancy's not particularly, it's not, it's not just against him. Yes. He's done an awful lot in these last few episodes to, to come into direct conflict with her, but it's deeper. It goes deeper than that. She finds it hard to forgive him because of, of, because he didn't tell her the truth about her mom. But at the same time, you can also understand his perspective. As you said, Sabrina, he was put in an awful, impossible predicament at that time. But yet, on the other hand, you can also 
totally understand why Nancy feels the way that she does. I just feel like in a show just mired in such like supernatural depths from start through finish, that's very real. And that, that was my favorite part of the episode. That scene between the two of them was magnificent. And this episode too, for me, had a lot of fun and lighthearted moments too, to like balance it out. Nothing was forced. it like all came up naturally to me like Tiffany's sister coming in and just being like way over the top (laughs) with her sunglasses and her Carly Rae Jepsen 2011 bangs she gives Ace the fish record in a box of gushers which tells us a lot about Ace (laughs) (laughs) him and those puppy dog eyes just you know he's a little kid with his gushers it was really funny Um, and even George's mom too I thought there was a lot of like fun moments that don't they're not forced like i think we talked separately about like some of these like superhero movies that try to like force in humor in the dialogue and it's like this just comes up very naturally for this show it's not usually nancy that gets the comic relief but like it happens around her to balance it out but she had it in her home with bess i think bess is really a funny character whether she intends it intends to be funny or not like when they're like um, yelling at her about stealing the ring and she's like I like shiny things <laughs> <laughs> like, wow that's the that's the story you're going through yeah, she's like they call me and I was like oh it's the funny thing is like they're like I don't know if we believe her and it's like she's so genuine like that part of her is so she may be lying to them about who she is but like that's genuinely who she like she would why would she she that's who she is she loves diamond rings and she's of course if she sees one she's going to pick it up it was just a really funny moment to me. But we did get a lot of answers about Bess, which mm, I appreciated. I like that this episode was, oh, of course, it put the two, we learned more about the two friends together um, in this episode. I mean, Bess and Ace. Um, I like that their their storylines, though they didn't necessarily, um, in what am I looking for? They didn't necessarily connect, um, but we did get both of their reveals. Um I felt bad for Bess. I mean, I was already feeling bad for her because she was living out of um, her RV and you could tell like something wasn't right there. But then learning about um, how she grew up and why she came to the States and that accent switch to mm, right yeah. in the middle of the um, of her discussing, I was like, yes, perfection. Like y'all know what you're doing out here. Um, and- Nancy didn't even flinch either. No, she didn't. <laughs> Nancy just rolled with it because she's Nancy Drew and like of course I already figured out most things in her head she was like check (laughs) (laughs) I really want to see I want to see Bess interact with the Marvins like it doesn't Mm. it's not really important to me whether or not she is a part of that family it's important to me that she gets the answers to that and how it's done um and I please go talk to the woman you think is your grandma I'm assuming she thinks that's her grandmother um I would Love to see how that conversation goes. Can I just say too that I really appreciated the slow burn reveal for Bess because, like, since the pilot, we've known like something's not right here. Like, mm-hmm. she's living in a van, she stole the ring, a whole mess of stuff, and we're just like, what's going on there? And like, episode by episode, we kind of like get to like her, but we're kind of like something's still not right. And instead of this whole reveal of her like her upbringing and her lying being just absolutely smushed into the pilot like so many shows do they hit you over the head with the exposition we're allowed to have this trickle out slowly but not feel like we missed out on anything 
Yeah, because the, the pilot episode and the second episode ended with all those like secret reveals that everyone wasn't being honest about who they are. So th- throwing Bess in direct line off the is she a murderer mystery ended up being, producing some fruitful results because they, they did give us the, the, the answers, some of the answers we were looking for about her. And I think all in all, that's helped make her a more well-rounded character because you could see she was putting on the accent and she was trying to be someone she wasn't or someone she longed to be. And I think I, that scene outside uh, uh, Mrs. Hudson's memorial between Nancy and Bess where they had the argument and the accent switch and all of that, that was, again, another really powerful scene. And I think that was the one. It was it was interesting to see a character as polite because she's always been so nice to Nancy as, as and a character as polite as Bess shoot down Nancy and give her a dose of this is how it is because that, that made Nancy realise well, I have my own unresolved conflict and I shouldn't have been so hard on her and Nancy was very hard from Bess in that episode right out of the gate as soon as she figured out that she'd stolen the ring so that was a just it, I just thought that was a really nice dynamic throughout the whole episode and it's it's it, it, I think it's ended up turning Bess into one of my favourite characters because there's so much there and I, you can't help but root for her, especially now knowing what we know. And can I just say the streak lives last week, I commented about how Nancy three episodes in, she keeps getting caught. Well, she's now Owen four, four episodes in, she got caught <laughs> at Bess's locker. Like Nancy, you've <laughs> got to get better at this girl. <laughs> I'm going to watch the next episode and she's going to get caught again. I think it's just a part of her character. Maybe it's a season one thing we're, we're, we're working up work uh, to get back to our level. She needs to, yes. stay, she needs to stay humble. Yeah. She needs yeah. these little moments. Well, every episode they give one to her. She's like, oh, <laughs> well. Oh, I mean, even the plan fell through today, or not today, in the episode. Um, because, you know, with the grief and not really wanting to, not realizing how impactful um, Tiffany's burial was going to be, she kind of left George out there. Um, and perhaps if Nancy had been around, George would have remembered the mirror. Because when she put um, what she needed to, when she put the ring back on Tiffany's finger, I said, George, I don't see a mirror mm-hmm. in I know, I was yeah. like, the mirror, the mirror, stop yeah. closing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Open the casket again. Uh, and I love that we get what happens immediately at the end of the episode. By the way, great ending. Mm, There's a yeah. wonderful ending to that episode. Another like terrifying moment of George getting possessed and then just like collapsing. <laughs> and then the voice, like the yeah. the um the voiceover. And I love the shot that they had. It's just her and the surrounding with the claw. And she's on the ground like um Tiffany was on the ground. I'm glad you brought up shots because there were two specific shots in this episode mm-hmm. that had me had me thinking and not to get too like Ooh. film class on you. But when Nancy was apologizing to Bess, that there is one shot, a one singular shot where we see Nancy from above. We're looking down on her and it exp- like that kind of shot is meant to like express vulnerability. And that's exactly what we got in that that one scene. That mm-hmm. one clip where she's apologizing because after that they cut to Bess and they cut back to Nancy and we're looking at her like normally, but we were looking at her from Bess's eye level and I thought that was a really they use the camera a lot in the show whereas some mm-hmm. other shows I think they some sh- like Riverdale does a lot of interesting cinematography but if that felt very intentional it's that we see Nancy where she might have been we might have been annoyed at her that she was like overreacting and like. Mm-hmm really doubting her friend but then we have that moment where we just like see her really vulnerably and then i think it was at the end when george is walking in the parking lot we see her from down below and we're just supposed to like that's supposed to like signify 
that she's powerful or something's not right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's exactly what was expressed in that um, scene. So I was like, oh my God, I learned something in film class in college. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I would always love to go to film studies um, class with you, Reed, like in the middle of the pod, <laughs> because it does add an element to like what we're talking about. One of the things that Nancy Drew does it really well is they use all forms of storytelling mm-hmm. um, from the script to the shots, uh, to the like the dialogue delivery, the choices that they make, um, it all paints a picture. I mean, since we're on shops, like when um when we're first introduced to Tiffany's sister, and it's that they mix the humor with giving you um allowing you to see who she is as a person. Nancy's just getting the newspaper, and here comes Miss Ma'am oh. and snatches it right out of her hand, and then she <laughs> walks away. So you get Nancy's reaction, and then you get um her uh walking away and i'm just like that was a wonderful way to tell us who this woman is mm-hmm. because immediately it's like she does what she wants um and she doesn't let anyone get in her way and uh, and she will screw people over like that just seemed mm-hmm. like it's, it's a part of her character um i don't know what's gonna happen with her playing that tape like that at the funeral we shall see yeah that was daring that was a dynasty move if i've ever mm-hmm. seen one <laughs> <laughs> Should we do a a quick ship watch though? How are you feeling with episode four, Sabrina? I know um, you're in the trenches with Nick and Nancy. I am. There wasn't a lot of like movement, right? Mm. No, but there is a there's a nice shot. Um, it's in the funeral. It pans from we're on Nancy. It pans up straight to Ace for no reason. <laughs> just like you you looking on her face someone said i think Bess is one of the times Bess is talking to her and i wish i would have paid attention to what the dialogue um was but it then goes straight to ace and i was like um y'all like it's how <laughs> storytelling works is are you telling us something <laughs> probably because the direction is like so intentional in the show so mm-hmm. i don't know i didn't pick up on that one but i just thought i'd throw out a ship watch real quick <laughs> yeah i don't think is nick really in this one other than he's setting up yeah. his camera and that's yeah about with this, it. the safe and everything yeah yeah there was no real like big relationship moments that wasn't the purpose of the episode but no but we did get a relationship reveal between ace and tiffany's sister which i was like okay we'll bide our time i know this is just for plot but um i am interested to see who like who he is around her and what she knows, because clearly she knows more than mm-hmm. um, our Drew crew about him. Oh, about Ace. I loved the scene where he pretended to be sick and George was like, I could die. You need to leave. Yes. And he's like, and he was just like, right on and left. <laughs> <laughs> and then he still tries to keep up the um, the facade by the lockers when Bess is yeah. right there. And he, like, he hacks a lung up and <laughs> she just it freaks like, her out. Okay. Like, I don't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love kinda, him. I know. I want to see his vinyl collection now. Since he got a vinyl record, we have to see one. Like, what, is, yeah. what does Ace's place look like? Well, he like likes, no one's in his photos. It was fish, mm. right? So that tells us what kind of music he likes. Yeah. So we're at rock. We're at, like chill rock though. Like old so. school. Mm-hmm. Now we're like, I'm sure there are like ace playlists <laughs> on um by the like the Nancy Drew fans. So if anyone has any nace playlist, not nace, sorry, ace playlists, send them our way. I would love to listen to what they think is on his on his Spotify. Yeah, I'll get some gummies and listen to Ace's playlist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
so we should move though to Tom Swift, who mm-hmm. um, I have the flowers ready for the grave. I could the um, mentally, I don't actually have flowers, y'all, but um, <laughs> uh, and I, I wish we didn't have to lay them because if we're going to talk about one of the shows on the CW that had the most potential, um, I think it would be. Tom Swift. Um, it is not as tight as its parent show, Nancy Drew. Uh, but that's like okay. One, they had 10 episodes, and two, uh they're doing something a little different. And so they were ironing out the kinks. And in the finale, um, I don't know about you guys, but it felt more like a penultimate episode than it did a finale until we got to the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. The last like act felt very like series finale, but the rest of it wasn't giving that. Yeah, the first half of the episode was definitely one of those like standalone, like don't want to say battle episodes, but when people are like locked in the same place, they have to sort something out. And I know the pressure was on Tom and I know it was a tense episode. I, I agree with the analogy that it very much felt like a penultimate episode. It, it, it succeeded in not being a stakes without a doubt, but it just, because they spent so long in the same place, it didn't quite scream finale until they got out of the building. And then now we're left with a lot of questions. I mean, I guess I should talk about more. We should talk more about the, the community building that they did. Um, once every, like everyone working together to figure out what was happening was cool. I, one of the things, though, I felt Tom underestimated, um, oh, her name has escaped me, but Miss Big Bad. He understood Miss Bad, Big Bad, like, the whole time. And that confused me a little bit because, like, uh, she seems like she's 15 steps ahead all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really dastardly this episode i mean they're from poison handles to poisoning the food to trying to get people ptsd through the swift site i mean it was horrifying yeah and once again people were questioning tom's integrity and he even had to say i would not do this and like it sucks that he's had his like integrity questioned i feel like for most of the episodes but like he's i know he's selfish but like he he, he, he wouldn't have done something like that. I'm mm-hmm. glad that he like spoke up and defended himself. Well, yeah, I wanted that man. He was like, you did this. I was like, sit down. In no way. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, he's never done it. It'd be different if they, like, Tom had a slight history of experimenting with people and um, and they didn't know like, without consent or something. Uh, but that was not the case. So to assume that this man would poison everybody at the um, at this engineering complex and Tom would have to stand up there and be like, I would not do this. I would not do this to our people. Why would I poison y'all? Anyway, we need to work together. Mm-hmm. Like, And then I did like that everyone did work together and they figured out everything within 15, no, I guess in their time, it probably be like 15 minutes for us. It was like two minutes. Um, <laughs> but it was great that they, they um, there was an urgency there because it was funny when he was, he, he was mixing the cobalt with Lino and he took the time to tell Lino exactly what steps he was taking. And I was like, sir, there are people throwing up and riding on the floor. I think we can wait for Lino's science lesson today. <laughs> Yeah, the scenery was rallying. Everyone was really, really good. I know the show had to do an awful lot of relying on dialogue because that's just how they get the information across. But I, d- I did like the scenery rallied everyone because it did. It. We've never questioned his integrity as a good person, but he has had his flaws. And I think that was that was like a public space for him to showcase that in spite of his flaws, he's still good at heart. And I think that really that message really came across and it. There are a lot of stuff we can take away from this as a series finale, even though half of it didn't feel like one. But th- that that was an important point for the. Uh, I think that was an important point for what now we know was the final episode of the series to get across, and it was an incredible moment. Uh, I, I'm completely on board with it. I really, really liked that moment, even if 
some of the getting there wasn't exactly smooth sailing. I think, um, I think what I really liked about this episode was the um, intent behind a lot of the scenes. Um, of course, we had to get the reveal about Lorraine and um, her figuring out that, you know, Claire has been mind controlling her. Um, but I do, one thing that Lorraine wanted from Tom the entire season was for him to step up. And in this episode, he truly did mm-hmm. step up in the way that she wanted. I do, I will say that, um, I will say that she, there was one step up I didn't quite like of how it was seeded into the story just because of all of the for there's so many high stakes in the finale for the I, I did like the nuance behind the grace and mercy conversation I did have an issue with how it's put into the storyline considering what we had just learned in the previous episode yeah it's really complicated right like that that's the the moment of the episode that sticks with me the most because I've thought about it the most and we've had some time removed from it so that I can kind of like wrap my head around it more because in the moment I was not thrilled with it I wasn't happy with it I didn't appreciate the language and the messaging completely but once I like took a step back and metabolized that okay this is the creator of the series wrote this in for a reason. He experienced this in his own life. So I like, I have to have empathy for that. Like I completely get it. But like these conversations are some that, you know, a lot of people unfortunately have had in their own lives and their own journeys. And I think it gets into tricky territory when we have a show kind of telling young people um, that it's important to like forgive people a little bit, like to give them grace, even though you feel like they don't deserve it. And that's what his mom says is that you give people grace who then they don't deserve that it's for yourself or whatever she was saying. That was there. It was a sweet intent behind it as his mother, but, it's it's a big ask for me to to see that and to have that put on to the viewers as much of importance as it holds for Tom. Like that's part of his story, right? Is to come to terms with what he's experienced with his father, not just for his father, not just for his mother, but to find that peace within himself. And uh, that scene, I can look on it now and have a different, perspective on it but in the moment I was like I don't know what to do with this (laughs) there was just so it was it's so heavy and there's many different um readings on it which I guess is the mark of successful storytelling when no matter what the feeling is you make somebody feel something and I for that reason I really do love that scene because it made me really stop and think and reflect on my own experiences so that's how I've I've come full circle with that scene. (laughs) I think that um, had we had more distance between that moment and when um, Tom had found about the conversion therapy gummies, it might have 
been better. I know they only had 10 episodes. But the other thing was, I wish it feels like a conversation that doesn't have the context of those gummies, even though it does. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just feels like that would be a conversation that she was having about his father's homophobia when he got home, you know, about like if, if, if his father still isn't like, you want me to be gracious, but he's not being gracious. Instead, we have it in a high stakes environment. So it's, it, it's carrying a lot of weight. Um, in the story I mean and that was the point um so I do wrestle with it about like what it's saying how it's saying it um the fairness in um a conversation like that I do believe it's supposed to be unfair um because what is the line it's grace is something you give someone that they don't deserve and mercy is what you give uh, is you saving them from what they do deserve so in some ways she is implying that Martin does deserve to get let up, left up at Saturn, but I don't want you to do that. Um, and they do have, there's the, the apology from Barton, which I wish was an I love you instead of an apology, but we got an apology. Um, and it was a good, it was a good apology for the time that we had. I just wish there's so much more I wanted from Barton and, and Tom's um relationship exploration that we just didn't quite get because of time and because you know we had to do all the storylines about the pieces um so there is that oh tom swift is like it's fun but it's heavy <laughs> like, it's yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like just, all this like science stuff and then it's like wait a minute we're gonna like make you reflect on your own childhood trauma and i'm like sweet <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely did feel like timing was an issue there because I do agree that felt like more of a general conversation between uh, Tom and his mom and it would have been easier to buy if that was a general conversation about Barton but literally the end of the previous episode revealed what he'd done and then in the first half to middle of this episode suddenly Tom was supposed to be all right with that and I know then we got to the whole forgiveness thing at the end but again I think you was you said Sabrina that this having high stakes is usually a good thing but it kind of undercut the emotion of the story because of course Tom was going to make that decision because he was a good person but because of both timing and the high stakes of the situation it felt like he was I don't want to say manipulated but talked into making a decision that he wasn't ready to make yeah guilt Mm -hmm. felt very heavy um yeah yeah. I I'll be honest with our listeners I did not watch episode nine after we talked about it I just didn't watch it. So I didn't, I know about the situation, obviously from what we talked about, but I don't have that context going into it. And I felt like I didn't need it because regardless of the events of episode nine and what we learned to me still, in my opinion, the apology and forgiveness from Barton was premature in my opinion. I'll keep Mm -hmm. saying in my opinion. Um, But I know like time constraints, they had 10 episodes. They needed to tell a complete story because who knows if they got a season two and I'm sure they would have like undid some things and unpacked it more if they got more seasons. But just in that moment when he's talking to his father at the end and they have their exchange, I kind of wanted Tom to express that he was doing it for himself. Mm -hmm. Like he needed to hear that and accept it to free himself. And I didn't, I didn't get that. It felt like he was doing it for everybody else other than himself. And I, I worry about, the character and what he's still feeling mm-hmm. it just felt kind of secondary when i yeah, wanted it to be at the top because <laughs> it, it, it became about barton 
And what um, and I don't Martin care needed. about Martin as we established <laughs> <Yeah>. last week. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, also because um, I might retract my statement about Barton's apology. Because one thing I did notice, um, he's, his apology was about Tom trying to change um, Tom into what he believes a man is supposed to be. But at the same time, he says that but you are the man who can save me. As like, This is why I want to die. I love you. Because at the end of what you're saying is, you know, he's the only one who can get you down, but I'll get you back to earth. And as emotional as that moment is between the two of them, I was like, you still made it about yourself, sir. You still made it about the fact that your son is the only person who can bring you back to earth. And perhaps acknowledging that is uh, is like was the road forward for for Barton, especially with all the reflection he had to do. But I was like, I, just say I love you to your son. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that would have been something they um they would have worked through in a season two. Potentially, I mean, there was the ending part about how Barton's not actually coming back to Earth until 2096, uh, which, which, like, well, my my brain went boop like, <laughs> right after Rowan revealed that, um, and so there is that. But like, I I am going to assume because of how much time they spent on um, Tom really unpacking his feelings about his dad, even if we didn't get Barton unpacking his feelings about his son, that they would have continued doing that in season two had they been greenlit for one. Yeah, it feels like again, timing was just basically what was undercut. One undercut the importance of that scene, um, because it, it that wasn't their intention, but it kind of felt like the the way it came across was that Barton had almost telegraphed the fact that Tom would find this out, so told him what he wanted to hear. I know that wasn't necessarily their intention, but it just came across like there were a lot of words said, a lot of words that would have ticked boxes of, of what Tom needed to hear, and in the end, it got the result he wanted. I know that wasn't the writer's intention, but I just think, as you said, everything came too close together. Mm-hmm. It just felt like, go uh, get that out of the way, deal with that, deal with that. I just think, I think was Reed said that it needed more emotional unpacking so that we could learn and it was more about what Tom needed rather than what, what Barton needed. And again, I just think they were to, they had to write themselves into a corner there because they had no time because obviously you had the huge cliffhanger and unfortunately no season two after that. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away because I know the writer also, the creator also said that he was really proud to be telling a story where their parent is apologizing to the child. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know exactly what he said, but it was in that area. And I think that is really important to show on television um, in my own feeling, in my own opinion. I'll keep prefacing everything I say with that. <laughs> I love seeing that, but an apology doesn't always need to be accepted for mm-hmm. it to be an impactful in a story. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. But can we circle back to the ending? Because I think it's that's a really important part of mm-hmm. the episode too, is finding out the big twist at the end. And I'm going to double down on my statement from past episodes that a cliffhanger ending is a serve. I'm sorry, guys. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Because <laughs> it's going it to ensure that this show is going to be on every like gone too soon list for the next 10 years. Like mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. ugh, it, I don't want to see the story wrapped up, even though they kind of tried to do that. But with that last like we're not done yet. I was like, yeah, that's. Yes. <laughs> it makes you want to be watched too to see like what parts of the series were they really hinting at Rowan being from the future. For me, it was the flashback sequence when he's running in all that gray and tattered clothing because you know, at least oh, on yeah. the CW and other, I guess, cyber um, productions too, they love putting you in something tattered. 
in gray and wash <laughs> out. <laughs> and so the, that's what was going on with him. Then the storyline with the um with the incredibly like genius woman who I forget what she was inventing, but with the baby who he knew and was like seemed to be part of his family. She didn't know him. And so I was like, oh, so who is the baby to you now? Since we know that you're from the future, like is that an uncle? Is it your mama? Like like who <laughs> your grandmother? Like who is this baby? to you who is his family to you like all there's so many things looks to unpack with everyone now and to see like where he might have um been giving it away just a little bit that he was from the future i'm excited like i know that i think i've had a really complicated time watching this show which is at no fault of the show it's just it's a, i again like a mark of a really successful show but it's not gonna be the end of my journey i want to rewatch it and to like mm-hmm. pick up on all the things and like now that I know what happens, like I can have a fresh set of eyes and just watch everything and really like have a new outlook on it. But I, I, I have to say, I think this ending is really good. It doesn't feel like it feels like a semicolon. Like it feels like this is a really good ending to the story and it could continue, but we don't necessarily need it to continue because there's still from this moment to go back and see how this plays into the story is just, is a whole another thing all in and of itself. Like we don't really necessarily need season two as much as we want it to understand how we got to this ending. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe I'm just trying to like rationalize like the ending. <laughs> no, this, I mean, it is, you're right about cliffhangers being a service. This is one of the best cliffhangers that did not make me angry. Like it didn't make me feel like they just cut a show. Like I or do wasted feel like my time. Be- I didn't feel like I wasted yeah. my time. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, it's a cliffhanger that works for Tom's story. And like, it tells you that there's more story beyond this. And I would love to see that story, but they told a complete enough story where I don't feel cheated. Yeah. yeah there's no like, like huge question like we're not like did this person die even though there's that kind of question but it's not an important one it's not like tom got shot and we're like oh we don't know if he lived or died um it's a cliffhanger that is juicy but is like it's a complete sentence so yeah that's my take no it'll definitely benefit i think a rewatch or enhance a rewatch because it's def it felt to me like an ending like oh the first thing i wanted to do is talk to you guys about it and it wasn't in a Oh, that's it then. It was a, what does this mean for the show? It's, it, it, it definitely, it didn't leave me in the same way that, like I said, the Legends of Tomorrow cliffhanger did isn't like all that for nothing. It, it de- I feel like this definitely would impact the story. And it would, as you said, you could find more story in a rewatch of season one. And like this show was so extravagant and like so extra and they thrive for being that. And yet it still caught me off guard with that ending. We know like this show it has a technological answer for everything. It also exists in the same supernatural universe as Nancy Drew. And yet and time, time travel. travel now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That was <laughs> That's so exciting. Oh, and they didn't leave us. Like, I'm glad that we know that Parkley can be saved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that like he's he's gonna be okay. I did find it funny that they they really had Tom like I might keep my dad up there. Just he's like <laughs> the, a Barclay around. Even I was like, I was like oh Tom. <laughs> that conversation with his mom, <laughs> like if if she if like him he was like so mom I chose Barclay. And that's just going to circle Saturn until he finds out of gas. I mean, who's been there for him? Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. That robot. 
And um, I don't really care if Eskel's alive or dead. Like, sir, if you're on a Cayman Island, fine. If you're at the bottom of whatever lake is around here, fine. I too. know. That was very much like, uh, sorry that happened, or I'm happy for you. Either way, I don't like, mm. God bless you on your journey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But if, if there's one thing I would like them to continue on, um, if they could do it in like the universe, it would be if they somehow seeded what was going on with Lino into a Nancy Drew episode. Mm. so that that so that storyline is complete yeah that would be nice yeah that's one of the stories that never really got to breathe so it would be cool if again nancy's so supernatural but i feel like there's room for technology in there and like superpowers as well so that would be cool if they managed to see that in somehow i hope so fingers crossed Mm -hmm. i mean i know they got their own thing going on in season four i've I don't know what's happening. I have not read any plots, but I've seen the cars and the ladies look lovely together, reunited. Like it just looks like it's a good old time and Kennedy has been teasing nice things. So like nice shippers, I hope y'all are all right. Cause you know, she's going to keep dropping more and more things as we get closer to this season. Get ready. <laughs> yes. Oh, and we'll be ready by then. Perhaps y'all will make a nice shipper out of me yet. Y'all. Mm. Uh, by the time we get to we got a little four. time we got a little time i think time. this is what i'm most excited <laughs> to to see on our watch is sabrina's evolution <laughs> through the ships <laughs> yes will she switch boats <laughs> stay tuned or will i try to command both we'll see like, mm. <laughs> possibilities <laughs> possibilities though apparently i mean they did warn me it is dry out here Nick and Nancy once they mm-hmm. break up not scene wise I don't think but as far as shippers like it's a few of us in a dinghy and that's about it and <laughs> I'm on season one so I may not even remain in the dinghy by the time I get to season four <laughs> it's gonna be a whole journey for you <laughs> not it, a dinghy. It, yes um but I guess this would be like a great place to end I know we usually roast or we toast but I kind of feel like and we roasted on... and toasted throughout. Right. So yes, exactly. <laughs> and I love ending on the universe. It's just such yeah. a special universe on the CW. Um, and I'm happy we got to be on the Tom Swift ride. I love that we're on the Nancy Drew ride. Um, if they do any more spin-offs, I will be watching. I just think the universe is amazing. Amen. Without a doubt. Okay, well, that is how we'll end. And I cannot wait to watch episode five of Nancy Drew. Probably this weekend, y'all. I can't like get enough of it. Um, but we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.